Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe, uh, one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming this morning. We're going to look at Galatians today. This is the very last message in our series um, in the book of Galatians that we started in July 9th. Uh, so we made it made it to the end. Or Lord willing, we're about to make it to the end. So let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the, the freedoms we have in this country. Thank you for um, all the men and women that have served our country in the military and have uh, made what we're doing right now possible. That we get to freely proclaim your word without... Um, worry of arrests or persecution, and we just are grateful for those who have sacrificed, and uh, we don't take that for granted. And we pray that Holy Spirit, you would uh, speak to us through this final message in the Book of Galatians. You would encourage us. You would um, address what needs to be addressed inside of each of us, and we would be different because of it. And we just ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, the title of the message today is Take. Warning. Take warning. Uh, if you grew up in the 90s, I actually stole that from a ska band um, named Operation Ivy as one of their songs. So about three people in the, the room probably know who that is, and I could probably guess who you are. Uh, so the, the title is Take Warning. It has nothing to do with ska or ska bands or the message of their song. But it will make sense later on. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a sports banquet. As an athlete or a parent? Okay, quite a few, about half the room. So if you've ever been there, this is, this is fall, this is time of year as um, different fall sports wrap up. There will inevitably be many sports banquets happening in western Pennsylvania. Um, football, uh, my favorite, cross country, whatever it would be, uh, there will be sports banquets. And you know how they usually go. They have some kind of good food. Yeah, the coaches are honored, honored, the athletes are honored. You talk about victories and defeats, hopefully more about victories than defeats. And you, it's just a good looking back time for the year. Well, my favorite part of a sports banquet is the slideshow, where it captures the moments in time of the athletes doing various athletic things. And um, I love it because it, it captures them in the moment. And so if you're a football player, it captures them in the moment of the play. If you're Michael McCracken diving across the goal line. And Michael's not going to have his banquet for a while because Homer won 41 to nothing. So congratulations there. We pay attention. Uh, but the whole idea, it's a highlight reel and it's enjoyable. Well, today's the last day of our message in Galatians. So I wanted to do a highlight reel from some of the key verses of Galatians, because when you read through the book of Galatians as a whole, it sort of balances it out. When we preach individual messages, different things can be um, maybe, maybe distorted to some degree. So one of the themes in the book of Galatians is this free message of Jesus Christ alone. But it can be so strong at times that it, it comes across as if it doesn't matter how we live at all, which is what I talked about last week. So I, I, want, I want you to listen to the highlight reel, and this will be God's Word. All I'm going to do is read different passages of Galatians. 
I'm not going to make any comments about it. And I want you to pay careful, close attention to the tone, to the theme, to the big things that the Apostle Paul is trying to highlight. And then we're going to get into his final words in the book of Galatians. Okay, So all you need to do is listen. All right, first one. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? What then has become of your blessedness? Or what then has become of your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Well, that's the highlight reel. If you've been coming since July 9th, probably those verses would trigger different messages and different memories. And the reason I wanted us to have a clear picture, because this morning we're going to hear Paul's final warning. And it really is a warning. It's an appeal. It's a fatherly warning. And in some ways, it's, it's, it's repetition from some of the things that he said. But it, 
it, it kind of captures a new angle. And the thing that we need to know is that this is Paul's heart. This is God's heart for us. That we wouldn't fall off on either side of the equation of free gift or obedience to the Lord. And I think both are covered in his final warning. So, the first point is take warning. Take warning. Do not trust in a works-based salvation. Take warning. I said I got the title from a ska song, which is true, but it also might trigger a familiar saying, Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. Heed. Watch out. Be careful. Use caution. Verse 11 of chapter 6. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may be may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So let's just work through this a little bit. First, scholars believe that when Paul writes, see with what large letters I'm writing to you, what is happening there is he was, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was most likely dictating the book of Galatians. He was, he was saying the words and someone else was writing them. And as they were writing them, they were probably writing in one particular style that was common to write Greek in. But he wanted the Galatians to know this is his very heart. And he wanted them to know that he is deeply concerned about them. So what they believe happened is at one point he takes the pen and he begins to write. And he either writes in a different style, which would make the, the letters larger, which was a common style of the day, or, and it might be a combination of both, because he had failing eyesight, they believe, the letters might have been larger as well. The important thing is, he thought it was necessary for them to have a personalized, final fatherly concern from the Apostle Paul. And so, you wouldn't believe how much is written about what, what that means, these large letters. In some ways, it doesn't matter. But I think what does matter is his heart and his concern for the people of Galatia and, and really God's heart for us. See, this concluding letter, this concluding few verses, is really his, his parental concern in a spiritual sense for them. It's kind of like those of you who remember sending kids to college or sending them out into the workforce or they're moving out of the area for the first time. There can be this strong impulse to say, remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this. Everything you've ever taught them, the big things, the important things come to the top and sometimes the ridiculous things come to the top. And you want them to remember because you're concerned about them. That's what's behind this idea here, this push from the Apostle Paul. And he wants them to remember to never, never go to a works-based salvation. He also wants them to know, don't follow those who teach a works-based salvation. See, as you know, if you've been coming during this series, 
There were false teachers that had intermingled Christianity and works together. They were called Judaizers. And they were particularly concerned about circumcision. And they would have an equation of salvation similar to this. That if you believe in Jesus, that's good, and you're circumcised, then you'll be a Christian. And Paul's concern was when as soon as you add something to that equation, it's no longer Christ alone who pays for our sins. And obviously circumcision isn't our main concern. But the equation can get messed up in many ways. It's whenever we add faith in Jesus plus something else equals salvation. See, he says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted. So he points out two flaws. This group of people, they're much more concerned about how they look and how they appear to others than they are Jesus Christ and what's going inside of their heart and mind. And they know by being circumcised, they can avoid physical persecution from the Jews. Because they're trying to to say it's a a version of Judaism. The point is, we're not to trust in anything but Jesus Christ for our salvation. He alone is the reason anyone will be forgiven and go to heaven. He alone. He's the substitute. He's the one who hung between God and man. He's the one who is our our mediator. He's the one who breaks down the barrier. So a biblical equation of salvation should be faith alone and Jesus alone equals salvation and good works will follow. Do you see the difference? It doesn't mean it doesn't matter how we live. I, I spent all last week talking about how we live. But we can unintentionally follow those who put the cart before the horse or Put the cart before the horse ourselves. So let's talk about this in parenting. What are we, those of you who are still in the throes of parenting, what are you holding out to your kids? What is the equation of salvation they get day after day? I'll give you some options. Is it a rule list? A set of do's and don'ts? Jesus might be somewhere in there, but... Primarily a rule list? Or is it you're holding out the beauty of Jesus Christ? The God-man who came to earth to live and to die for our sins. What are you holding out? What is the good news you're sharing? Is it don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this? Now as soon as I say that, I know some of you in your mind, you're thinking, well, are you saying that you should have a if we come to the Ryer home, is it just utter chaos? There are no rules. Everybody just runs around and does whatever they want, and we just hold out the beauty of Jesus? Uh, not saying that. What I am saying is if, for example, if your kids think Christianity is basically a set of things you can do and a set of things you cannot do, what will inevitably happen is when they leave your home at whatever age they leave, because there's no Jesus in the center of their heart and mind, they're going to blow right through those rules because they're no longer going to be under those rules. And chances are they are blowing through those rules as we speak. Sometimes 
we're aware. Sometimes we're not aware. See, all behavioral change has to come from the inside out for it to be worth anything, for it to be lasting. See, Jesus Christ came to, to give us a relationship with the living God. And it's from that relationship that then we change from the inside out. So show them Jesus. Show them their need for Jesus. Show them that heaven and hell are real. Show them that God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. Show them that their sins are primarily vertical before they're horizontal towards their mom and dad or their brother and sister. I'm not saying rules don't matter. But Jesus Christ is the Savior. He has to be at the center. So apparently is one way we see this. Here's another place it, it can come out. So a number of us are going to go to uh, relatives' homes for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and at times, if you're like Mary and I, we didn't grow up in a Christian home, so most of our relatives are not Christians. So what, what do your non-Christian relatives think of you, see of you when you interact with them? I'll give you, give you two options. Do they see just a radically kind, loving person who genuinely cares about them? Is that, is that what they see when they think of you? That's what we want them to see. Or do they see and think, what a strange, legalistic, fearful person that seems mildly off-put and repulsed by them and their behavior? What do they see? Because if we really believe the Gospel in the Bible, boy, should we be different. But it's not just in the we shouldn't swear, we shouldn't smoke, and we shouldn't drink kind of things. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's in the heart attitudes. It's in our love. We should be different. I have many relatives who do not know Jesus Christ. And last winter, my, my aunt passed away. So I was by myself. I did the funeral. And I spent an evening with my aunts and uncles and cousins. Um, no one knows the Lord. All are colorful. We'll just say it that way. And so, but what I wanted them to see is that I genuinely love and care for them. I am, I, I want to, them to know that I've been radically changed by Jesus Christ. And one of the effects of that radical change is if you swear or you are in a, an immoral relationship or you do many immoral things, I love you. I'm for you. And more than anything else, I want you to know Jesus Christ. See, if you are legalistic, it comes out in the way you interact with people. And it will particularly come out in the people that do things that repulse you. Things that you think are evil and bad. And see, I think that's very different than when Jesus was on earth. See, Jesus took a lot of heat from, from hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He wasn't participating in their behavior. But he surely was loving them. Last Friday, I was at my weekly Bible study at a, at a rehab near Blairsville. And now it's getting cold out. And, and so every Friday, I usually try to play hacky sack or shoot baskets while they're on their smoke break. But none of that was happening because it was cold. So the only people outside were the, the diehard smokers, which is pretty much everyone. So 
so um, I don't smoke. Um, I, I'm, I'm like bubble boy. I, I have allergies to everything, so I don't, I don't particularly like cigarette smoke in my nose, and uh, it gives me a headache. And uh, but I thought, well, I'm here. I, I need to hang out with these guys. So I sat on a bench, had smoke blown in my face for about 15 minutes, smelled like a chain smoker, and um, it's about 30 to 40 guys who are just, most of them are very foul in what comes out of their mouth. Now, I could have corrected everything that came out of their mouth. I could have talked to them about, hey, do you know what that cigarette is doing to your body? But see, that, that wasn't my purpose. My purpose is to show them the love of Christ and introduce them to Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. As one who came out of a chaotic life as a teenager, it wasn't rules that changed me. It wasn't a self-righteous Christian that said, you need to stop swearing. You shouldn't get drunk anymore. You shouldn't use illegal drugs. And I'm not saying that's self-righteous. Let me clarify. Legal things, illegal things are wrong. and We need to stop. But what changed me, and this should give you hope, the Holy Spirit in me changed me. I was so convicted of so many things because God came inside of me and I began to read His Word. So you can have faith in the living God as you introduce people to Jesus. And you, wherever the Bible commands, we command. Immorality, we command. Drunkenness, we command. But we command through the Scriptures. And the Lord convicts and the Lord changes. So we want nothing to do with a legalistic version of Christianity. Listen to what Jesus said about this. He said this to the Pharisees. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a, a single proselyte or a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So you can look really good on the outside. You can do no bad things, morally speaking, and go to hell forever because you rejected Jesus Christ. Because you rejected the One who came to pay for sins and sinners. Self-righteous sinners, immoral, indulgent sinners, all stripes of sinners. And see, that's why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees. Because they had truth, but they missed the mark. They missed Jesus at the center of their truth. See, here's the thing. Those who promote a workspace system for salvation, they, they can't keep it. They don't keep it. It's an impossible system. Listen to what James says. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you commit adultery, but you do, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. In other words, if you break one law, you break them all. If you picture, picture a chain, like let's say when we're born, you start with this perfect chain. You break one link, it all crumbles. It all falls. And remember, Jesus said, I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's committed adultery in his heart. If anyone gets angry in his heart, he's committed murder. The whole point 
is fundamentally by nature, you and I are no different from the worst person you can think of. Now, we're, we're, we're different in degree of action. But at the core, you know who you are. You know what thoughts come across your mind, particularly before you met Christ. And so we want to hold out Jesus. And we want to obey Jesus as a result of being saved, not as a means to salvation. And so Paul was warning the Galatians. And he, and he also, also warned them of the false teachers in verse 13. The second part he said, or the first part he said, For even those who are circumcised do, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, they're, they're counting converts. Look, we're getting full. We've got more people. But it's the wrong kind of convert. See, we want to be a church and a, and a Christian people that are so radically in love with Jesus because of what He's done for us. Because of how patient He's been to us. How loving He is. And we're going to follow and obey out of that. We're not trying to earn anything. He purchased it for us. So Paul says, take warning. Don't, don't follow legalistic teachers or systems. And, and definitely don't promote them. But now he's going to flip it to the positive. Point number two, take warning. Never boast in anything but the cross of Christ. Never boast in anything. Never glory in anything. Never marvel in anything but the cross of Christ. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Faith alone and Christ alone. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers. Amen. See, remember, remember who Paul was. If ever there was a zealous religious man, it was Paul. He was a Pharisee. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He had the pedigree. He also had the mental ability to take in large portions of the Old Testament. He had the zeal to make sure Christians were imprisoned and put to death. He was as good as it gets when it comes to zeal for the law. See, he gave it all up. He said he counted it as garbage, as rubbish. He he, he didn't want anything but to marvel in this cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he uses that phrase, it is often shorthand for all that Jesus, all who Jesus is and all that he has accomplished when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. But see, we're not, we're not in the time period of crucifixion. So if we were, I mean, it would be gruesome. We would be on Facebook and Instagram, you see these bloody, murderous pictures of men dying for their crimes, being tortured. And so it, it would be a weird thing to boast in, to marvel in, to hope in. One man 
said crucifixion was a method of torture, not just putting to death. It was a particularly cruel and an unusual form of disposing of people. This is a man named Jeremy Ward, who was who was part of the physiology department in King's College. I went on to read his description of what happens during crucifixion, and it is it is gruesome. The whole purpose was to deter people from committing crime. But see, Jesus committed no crime. He was completely innocent. And yet the very reason he came to earth was to perfectly obey and die on a cross to experience extreme and bloody torture. For what? For who? For our sins. For you and I. And Paul knew that. Paul devoted his life to the God who sent his son to live and die and bleed and rose from the grave. And he never stopped marveling at it. Like if you think Saving Grace Church has people problems or uh, Christianity in Western Pennsylvania has people problems or Christianity in the United States has people problems or in the world, pick a country. Paul was very familiar with people problems in the church. Most of his letters are addressing people problems. And yet, he never stopped. He never stopped proclaiming Jesus. He never stopped trying to help people. He never stopped introducing people to Jesus Christ, despite all the people problems, despite all the pressure. Why did he do that? Because of what Jesus has done for him. And see, what happens when you trust in Jesus Christ, you are united with Christ, spiritual things happen. Look at verse. Um, 14 again, the second part. So after trusting Jesus, he said, because of the crucifixion, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, when you trusted in Jesus, spiritually speaking, you experienced a death to the world and vice versa. So we might still be a little attracted at times, might, might have some appeal at times. But if you are in Christ, you died Christ's death, and the life of Christ is now in you. And so we no longer have to give in. We no longer have to obey those impulses and passions. We don't. See, Jesus, He ended the war between the sinful nature, between us and the Lord. I mean, monumental things happened on the cross. And part of growing as a Christian is growing in understanding and learning and discovering all that that means that Christ died for our sins. It's an incredible thing. I've heard theologians say it's like a, you know, the, the, the gospel, the good news, the Bible is like a, a pool that that a child can play. It's just shallow. A child can understand Jesus died for your sins. But so deep that an elephant can't even touch the bottom. And that's how Paul would have understood this. He would have marveled in the good news of Jesus Christ. This has to be the object that we are most passionate about. So as a parent, we want to be most passionate about Jesus. Not good grades, not athletic achievement, not future plans. 
Those things are fine. Those things are good. We talk about those things. But what we want to prepare our children for is that day where they meet the Lord face to face. The only thing that saves them for that day is Jesus' life and death on the cross. And the only thing that really prepares them for this life is a live relationship with the living God. See, we must, must, must be excited about Jesus. See, we, when the worship leaders pick the songs, like you didn't notice today, Jason was very intentional with the word choices of the songs. We want to be centered on Jesus Christ because of who He is and what He's done for us. See, verse 15, Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. He said elsewhere in Galatians, by the law, the law never was intended to bring life. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. See, when we come to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are made alive. You become a new creation. Brand new. Made alive. Alive. Paul said in Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, the moment I called out to Jesus, this great adventure began. And I didn't even know what was happening. I was made alive. Changed from the inside out. A new creation. Rules and regulations will never do that to somebody. They'll never produce life. Jesus alone is the one who can give life. See, this this new life is, is like, but even greater than, you know, a caterpillar being transformed to a butterfly. You know, it's the same animal, sort of, but it looks so different. You think of the ugliest caterpillar you can imagine. It's chubby. It's just kind of crawling along. You think life is hard. He walks slow. Hardly gets anywhere. And then they go into this cocoon. They come out and they're just beautiful. Flying. and Incredible. You know, we don't know what they think. But, you know, they might at times think, I'm still caterpillar maybe i should just walk around on the ground but then they look in a reflection of something and they start flapping again they get to go we can be like that but see what we can never do is tell that caterpillar to fly can't fly we could say hey i'm going to put you up here on this podium and now when i say jump you're going to jump and when you jump because it's in your body somewhere you're going to fly it's what you were made to do so he crawls up to the edge Falls right on the ground. So we try the steps. Never flies. Because the transformation hasn't happened yet. See, that's what laws apart from Jesus are like. It's an absolute setup. You need to radically change your life. I, I work with a lot of men and women who are struggling with addiction. I tell them every time I meet with them usually that the goal is not sobriety. It's a greater goal than sobriety. Sobriety is a goal. But absolute transformation by Jesus Christ. That's what we're aiming at. And as that happens, then sobriety comes. It's a wonderful thing. It's not what we're aiming at. See, Jesus alone brings the new creation. He alone 
is the one who promises transformation. So run to him, spend time with him, read all about him in this book. He is amazing. But this cross, this idea of Jesus dying, it does one of two things. It either makes you excited and thankful, or it just sort of bounces. It doesn't make any sense. 1 Corinthians says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But us, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, for some of you this morning, it, it's just sort of bouncing. You, you want Maybe you think the people around you seem nice, they're friendly, they're loving, they're kind. But when it comes to Jesus, you're just not sure what, what, what to do. My prayer for you is that you would, you would call out to Him. You say, Jesus, I want to know You the way You're described in the Bible, the way the people around me seem to know You. I want to know You that way. I want to experience You that way. And see, here's the good news for you. If you turn to Jesus Christ, call out to Him. He will answer that prayer. He will bring life. And you get to experience the difference between a caterpillar's life and a butterfly's life where you can fly. You can, you can obey in ways you never could before because now the Spirit of God will be inside of you. Paul concludes with a few more words. In verse 16 he says, And as for those who walk by this rule, see, Paul had a rule his rule was faith alone and Christ alone as shown on the cross. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That phrase, upon the Israel of God, is debated. But what I believe it means, and Paul says it in Romans 16, I think Romans 9, it's the true people of God. It's not ethnic Israel. It's those who come to God on His terms which is faith alone and Jesus alone. See, Paul wants them, wants them so much to be part of the true Israel of God, part of the people of God. And that comes from faith alone and Jesus alone. Paul, see, Penn's last two verses, he, he's going to make a couple more digs. Verse 17. Keep in mind, when he's writing this, he's, he's near the end of his age. He's most likely blind. He suffered massive persecution for this cross that he so glories in. And he's not afraid of anybody. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. See, false teachers, they were so concerned about circumcision. And he's, in his own words, basically saying, okay, let's, let's talk about marks. So let's talk about what it be, means to be marked. For Jesus. And if he was here, he wouldn't, he wouldn't need tattoos or t-shirts or bumper stickers to identify himself with Jesus. All he would do was take off his shirt, turn around, and you would see decades of scars on his back where he was beaten, whipped, almost left to dead, all because of his allegiance to Jesus alone. See, he was all in for Jesus Christ, no matter what other people said, no matter what other people thought, no matter what. And that led him to associate with all kinds, all kinds of people throughout the decades. All because of the love of 
Jesus Christ. Let's have the band come up as we just read this last verse. See, Paul was so committed to Jesus. The question for us I want us to think about as we end Galatians is, are we all in for Christ? Are you completely sold out, committed, solely trusting in Him alone? Are you boasting in Him alone? Because the Apostle Paul would warn us, do not trust in a works-based salvation and never boast in anything but the cross of Christ. And then he would close with this last verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father, we pray that as we think about what you have done for us through Jesus Christ, our hearts would be warmed to you and to one another. We would know all our sins have been paid for, not in part, but completely. And it would give us joy, satisfaction. And Lord, we will give you all the praise. We just ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.